Welcome to episode 261 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Welcome back, Jordan. It's been a little while since we've had a podcast. Two? We- One and a half weeks. Ten days. Probably. Ten days. Ten days, yeah. Um, so, a ten-day contract. Yeah. <laughs> fittingly enough. <laughs> um, it has been possibly the duration of Isaiah Kanan's stay with the Bucks since we last since we last recorded. But we will talk a lot more about Isaiah Kanan. He is one of the things that we are here to discuss further. Um, signed by the Bucks on Monday, made his debut like two hours later. Did incredibly well considering the circumstances. I don't know. We'll maybe discuss, you know, the Brandon Jennings effect um, a little bit later when we get on to these ten-day debuts. But otherwise, we haven't been here since All Star. We'll talk a little bit about what was a pretty spectacular All Star game for the books. Um, the most spectacular All Star game, in fact, in books history. They have never had performances of that caliber in that game to match up to, considering the players they've had. The Bucks have been really bad in All-Star games. I don't think Kareem cared at all for All-Star games. So we'll discuss All-Star a little bit, and then we will look ahead to, I mean, the remaining four games of the Bucks' current road trip with those four games coming out west. It's one of the stretches of the schedule that traditionally, you know, Bucks fans would be pretty scared of. Um, they... In the past, haven't always done that well when they've had to go out on the road, particularly when they've had to go on the road for extended period of times, and even more so when that has come out on the West Coast. So, you know, what would have been a source for dread in the past, I don't think phases anyone right now, and I guess we'll get into a lot of the reasons why. Are you ready to go, Jordan? I am ready. Where will we start? Will we start with the thing that everyone else stopped talking about 10 days ago? Is that is that how you podcast? Yes. Right. Let's talk about All-Star. <laughs> this was, I mean, it was going to be a fun night regardless. We knew that getting a second All-Star in in the form of Middleton, that was great. Having Bud and the assistants on the bench, that was great. I'll speak for myself, but I don't want to. I don't want to speak for both of us here. Maybe you feel differently, Jordan, but I certainly didn't expect what we got on the night. And I guess Middleton is the reason for that, for the most part. He did not seem like the player that you know he's just been waiting his whole career to get to an All Star game and really show what he can do. 
I didn't think he was going to be all that well suited to it. But it turns out he was, or at least he was when his star teammate was running the entire game and was more than happy to set him up every time he took to the floor. Yeah. I mean, they... <laughs> I think I was had a couple reservations. I mean, obviously, everybody knew Giannis was going to be the showstopper. You know, it's his team, Team Giannis. Coach Bud in the wings. <laughs> X of the nose. But it was kind of interesting... I was, I don't know. I didn't know how to feel about what Milton would do for the All-Star game. And it turns out, um, <laughs> maybe he has like most, actually, I mean, ever since then, he's had kind of these crazy heat checks. He's shooting like, well. Uh, yeah, his he has been shooting well. His tree, funnily, he's not shooting well from mid-range, um, but his three-point shooting has been pretty good, it feels like, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, he is up to 38.4% on the season overall. Which is really good. Yeah. <laughs> on a career high, six triples per game attempted. So, yeah, on that front, um, all positive, but I don't know if any of that really meant we were expecting, you know, 20 points on seven of 13 from the field, six of 10 from deep. Also, the five rebounds, four assists, which is kind of a Middleton staple with the books. He does this nearly every night now where. He's equally involved in rebounding and setting up teammates. But again, he had 13 boards in that Celtics game. I know that yeah. was kind of a grimy, grinded out type game, but like his, I believe he's having a career year rebounding the ball, which he is, is 5.9 5. per game. You know, that's, that shouldn't be a go or that shouldn't go unnoticed, obviously. And I mean, if we're to look at a per 36, his previous career high was 5.3 per game, which was back in 2014 15. He's at 6.9 per 36. Almost seven boards per 36 is really significant. It's pretty impressive for a player of Brazil. Likewise, he's just under five assists per 36, where his previous career high was 4.2 in that regard. So, yeah, a lot to like in that capacity. We've talked all about his ups and downs, but the numbers are bearing out that, you know, he's he is finding a way to be really effective and really productive the all-star game was maybe just taking that to an extreme. Then we had Giannis who, you know, was the all-star game MVP. Like, I, I mean, that's just how it was. I don't, I don't understand. Why does the winning team have to have the all-star game MVP? How does that make sense? This is the finals. I mean, it's not like he got swept and it's like, no, give it to Giannis. Why in the all-star game is that relevant? He was by a mile, the best individual player on the floor. Kevin Durant coming in again. Got to join the super team. Got to win the MVP. Get all the glory. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he may not have won the award, but he won the night with the now <laughs> highlight that is on T-shirt that the Bucks are selling, the bounce slam, as they're calling it, slam ball at its finest. Do you think there's going to be a resurgence in slam ball? Just there from, should you know, be. I love the association. Ball. Uh, I love slam ball. Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, who, who doesn't love trampoline basketball? I mean, sure. I guess. I mean, I'm just saying to all the. I mean, I couldn't do it, but because I was also eight. But 
<laughs> it was also an incredibly dangerous and physical sport. That is true. Yeah, coming the the landing <laughs> was not. Be, I think that's why a lot of every dunk was basically a business decision. No one dared even contesting someone <laughs> leaping up in the air that's higher than the uh, hoop itself. That's how much air they would get. Big, big in Japan. Yeah, trampolines already a known health hazard, and then throw in like. I don't know where where slam ball maybe slam ball guys were really small. I can't even think were there like six five guys even because you didn't need to be. I mean, everybody has different heights. That's the true, Jordan. That's an inside five eight ball. and a half. Regardless, these were strong, athletic men generally, um, who yeah, <laughs> add in the trampoline and bring the pain, Jordan. I can't believe we've ended up on slam ball, but here we are. Overall, this was, I think, a major win for the books tonight as a whole. Obviously, Bud there, Bud clearly having a good time, sitting back on the bench, making gray faces, having the wave, the wave, <laughs> but just an all time, you know, his introduction. walkout during Meek Mill's performance was pretty spectacular. He was so at home with it. He didn't. Uh, he didn't hesitate. It wasn't like, "Yeah, you're gonna walk out there right behind Meek Mill." You kind of <laughs> look like you might be one of his dancers. He didn't go. Could I not wait another minute or two? He said, "Yeah, let's do it." This is. He wasn't dreaming about Costa Rica when he was walking out to Meek Mill. So <laughs> it was a big win for Team Giannis, even though they lost, and a big win for the books. And I, I think it really should have been. Maybe it has been. I don't know. But it should have been a real turning point for the wider perception of the books when all of a sudden two players and the coaching staff show up and they kind of, you know, take over All-Star game, you know, take over the All-Star Sunday. It's the showcase weekend in the NBA. And I, I would hesitate to suggest there's ever been another occasion where it felt like the books had such a firm hold on that event than they did on Sunday. Particularly if you think to like whatever it was late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, when Middleton first came in and he was just like red hot. And it was just like, I mean, pretty close to the Tony Snell play. Giannis was running with Middleton and it was just one book to another. At that point, Giannis already well into double digits. Like it was pretty sensational. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's got to be taken. Uh, it it was fleeting for a moment, and of course, the big big story out of the weekend was you know the Warriors want to sign Giannis or so whatever. <laughs> big story. I'm joking, joking, everybody. Should we? Uh, maybe we should talk about that because it's the kind of oh, thing. Why? If we don't talk about, it, we're gonna get like mailbag questions about it for years. We're going to get mad by questions about it for years anyway. Um, that's just the start of something that's going to be a constant. Like, we're going to get that yeah. when he when he goes to every major city. Team wants to sign MVP player when he's free. <laughs> just... <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, the funniest part for me is, are the Warriors going to be good in 2021? That's a fair question. Like, they are not the Lakers or the Celtics. That's a, that's the weirdest part of that to me. They do not have historical cachet. Okay, they're moving, and maybe their location becomes 
something different, something more significant. Something it is more called appealing. the Chase Hunter, and they want to chase Giannis, apparently. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, what do they look like just two years from now? What do, We don't know what they're going to look like after this summer, but particularly two years from now, like, how is Steph going to age? It's always been a big question mark with his injuries. Yeah, but how's he going to I mean, look they're all at that? Early, they're all going to be early 30s. So, I I understand why they would want Giannis. Um, are they going to be a more appealing option than the books at that point? No, probably. <laughs> I don't know, Jordan. I think it would be pretty close. You know, the one thing the books have and will always have is they're in the East. And, right, as we're seeing at the moment already, top half of the East is really strong. But you don't have to worry you with, like, you know, if we're off our game for a while, we could miss the playoffs like LeBron is experiencing in the West right now. Yeah. So Will they find Giannis. Who's to say? Should we talk about that documentary? <laughs> Something else that happened at All-Star Weekend. Kind of a big deal. Like, just further to be a documentary, again, about a book um, leading into All-Star Saturday night, I believe. This is the only element of All Star Saturday Night we're going to discuss. I should add here, uh, nothing, nothing that happened later in the night, nothing that happened in the three point contest. But what were your thoughts on the documentary? I mean, that's a pregnant pause. <laughs> yeah, that was. I don't know. I'm always a sucker for early Giannis stories, just because. It is still, even with like knowing what we know now, it is still like mysterious that kind of, I I know there was like promote, obviously promotion leading up to it. And there was like famous, famous, there was a viral clip of, uh, that wasn't a part of the documentary, surprisingly, which I thought should have been, honestly, that the only team that didn't scout Giannis was the Knicks, which, you know, just adds you saw they denied that though they released it yeah, but they deny everything denial. they denied the dolan they're also not for sale yeah they're all <laughs> we're not for sale um yeah anyway um yeah I, i'm a sucker for early Giannis content and even with him in greece or if it was his rookie year because even then like I know the current uh, high that we're all on, it is still kind of stunning to think about just him coming during the worst year in franchise history and all this turmoil. And obviously his own, you know, personal, like, you know, him saying apparently, uh, you know, possibly wanting to go back home if his parents couldn't uh, uh, get their visas to come to America. I mean, there must have been just so much just swirling around the Bucks that, you know, at that time that uh, <laughs> made things way more difficult than it did. And, and obviously short of the court because they won 15 wins. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of a sucker for early Giannis stuff. And then as it kind of trudged on, it was less engaging in my eye. It, it just, it kind of just, you know, we got to, we got to fill it with the, kind of the 60 minutes piece I, I felt like it kind of retreaded some of the stuff that was there but yeah yeah i mean i i look forward you to, to you have to remember too a lot of this is sorry to cut you off well, but if you're leading into all-star saturday night a lot of this we're 
we follow the team, we're fans and all this stuff. This is like stuff that we can recite on the back of our hand. Some of these people, same thing with 60 Minutes. Like, it's a national piece that's going to run everywhere. And, you know, some people don't know his story, obviously. Yeah, there's a very significant element of pandering to a wider audience. I mean, 60 Minutes in particular, I mean, you're not even necessarily talking about a basketball audience so it's yeah. trying to capture a wider profile I think that, that's a fair point that's the same sort of thing we've even seen a basketball sense when you know there's these kind of short pieces done before national tv games for the books or it's on espn or tnt or even the kind of coverage that's often provided and kind of commentary that's often provided in those games where you know it may be old news it may be very very reductive and basic to you know people who watch the books 82 games a year but if you don't if you only see them when they're on national tv and you've spent years and years never seeing them as a result those kind of basics are kind of relevant to kind of put out there as the main starting point um well i was gonna say just with the documentary yeah i enjoyed it i did I basically enjoy anything about Giannis, but i would have enjoyed it a lot more if it was about Giannis and not about Giannis's agent that's that's my take on that. It was kind of a an interesting decision, I will say. But yeah, that's one for another day. I mean, we've never really discussed or had to discuss Giannis's agent before. And let's just stop this here because it would be nice if we could keep it that way long term because then everything would be all good. Mm-hmm. Let's move it on. Isaiah Canaan. So any documentaries coming up about Isaiah Kane, do you think? <laughs> maybe. Who knows? I mean, who, who maybe he turns this parlays this 10-day deal into um uh I don't know, I lost steam there. <laughs> into an end the deal to the end of the season, I think anyway. Um, I was gonna say something like Bucks Hall of Fame, but they don't have Well, it. I mean, it's not impossible, Jordan. Not impossible. Already ta- he already he's already taken Thon's number. Uh, yeah, I noticed that by the way, which was very much wow. You know, and not that Thon is some sort of legendary figure, but no, we were invested in. <clears throat> oh, maybe that number seven could be important. You know, for a couple of years, and then less so in that thought, and then now he's in Detroit. But if you're if you want to, you know, make your case for some sort of books hall of fame. Signing a 10-day at this point in the season, in this particular season, is probably a good way to go about it. Uh, so <laughs> I think the first element of this, I've just finished writing about Isaiah Kane, and by the time of you are listening, you can go and check it out on Behind the Book Pass. I actually really like this story, and to me, like he's kind of a just he's okay. He's a borderline NBA player, someone who deserves a lot of credit for really successfully kind of scrapping and keeping himself in the league. He hasn't had long spells out of the league. He's played at least 20 games in all six years since he's come into the NBA. He has put up pretty consistent production and production that's, you know, good. It's fine. It's all dependent on the team and all dependent on the role. And more often than not, he's been on bad teams. So this is kind of a different situation for him. But for me, the big thing is when you think of the injury that he had, which is just over a year ago, his Gordon Hayward-esque open ankle fracture. Uh, yeah, I like, think it was on national TV too, so I, a lot of people saw that. It was it was particularly gruesome. 
I was only reading about it again today, and I was reading particularly Jared Dudley was talking about it, and he was the first person to obviously kind of uh what we say comfort Isaiah Kane after it happened. Yep. But that whole process, when you consider how Gordon Hayward has looked and not quite looked like himself since coming back, Kane has actually done a really nice job of getting himself back into NBA teams on the floor and actually playing pretty much like he always has. I think that's the thing. Okay, there's very different levels and his game is predicated on certain elements that mean the drop-off might not be as severe, but that was such a serious injury and occurred four months after Hayward suffered his. It might have been close. I mean, it... it was it was the first of February, so a little bit first, less. Oh, and three and a half months. Um, but you're talking about a guy then who was back for the first game of preseason with the Suns, has managed to stay pretty healthy throughout the year. Okay, he was waived by the Suns late November, I think. Um, maybe he even played with their G League affiliate. I might be wrong about that, but he might have. He might have, but he did play 19 games with the Suns, and he was waived relatively early in the season still. So I'm not sure on that. He might have. Um, And then more recently, he had two 10 days with the Timberwolves, which recently just expired. And I guess the stars align. George Hill is going to be out for a few games. The Bucks need a point guard. Here's someone who is solid. I think will serve the purpose that Bucks need him to serve, which is he's not afraid to throw up trees. Um, he's kind of okay at making them. He's pretty much league average kind of shooter, but he will take above average volume. So you're not going to have issues about, you know, the floor getting clogged because this is a guy unwilling to take trees. And I think it makes sense in that regard. I mean, look, it's not exciting. It's not going to, it's not going to really make any difference. But we kind of have discussed this at least privately i think we might have talked about it on the last episode as well like the buyout market was is tricky business for the books not quite as many guys have actually become available as it seemed the better players went and signed deals really really quickly and with much lesser teams than we originally anticipated and that was probably on us because what those guys want is minutes so they can go and earn a really nice deal somewhere in the summer rather than just, oh, yeah, uh, I'm kind of scrapping to stay in the NBA or I've been a journeyman getting to a point where I'm now pretty good. And I'll just go and chase a ring without any guarantee that I'm going to get my next payday, my next payday be on the, out of it. So that kind of limited the book's options. and. The most intriguing, I guess, bio guys, even still, who could potentially hit the market, to me, are big men. And the books are absolutely stacked in the front court. Like, Monday night against the Bulls, is your, your evidence of that where Giannis doesn't play? Ursan and DJ were both really, really great. DJ in particular was fantastic. Uh, Miritich not quite at his best, but was still like 5 of 11 from the field, still finding his feet and looking pretty good. And then you still have like Christian Wood waiting for minutes behind that. He came in and had a nice dunk in the final three minutes. Like the Bucks don't really need another big. It's not essential. And 
I we, you've kind of touched on this before. You felt like they did need a point guard. I I kind of tell no, there's ways they can move around this. But I guess the thinking is if you bring Kanan in, there's less disruption to your rotation overall. You can just kind of slot into some of George Hill's minutes without completely disrupting where Brogdon plays with the starting group or how they how Brogdon even generally gets staggered into the second unit. That seems to be the thinking for me. It's just this is a continuity play. He'll plug a gap. If he's good, I think they'll keep him. I think they'll keep him if he's just solid because it is the one spot that, again, if there's even a minor injury down the line, they might just like some extra cover of security, particularly as Dante is still injured and has played so little overall now this season that I don't know if we'll really see him take to the floor at all again this year. No. I, I think this is a red shirt year. Pretty much, Dante. because it's the stakes are going to be so high that even when he does return, it's not going to be like, oh, let's throw Dante in. It's probably, yeah, I mean, there's a month left with the herd, and who knows how long this... He, he has, like, heel bursitis. I mean, that, that's that's pretty tricky kind of situation that he's been dealing with for better part of a month. But yeah, to go back to Kana, I mean, I, when he got waived the other... Or not waived, I guess just... They yeah. just didn't. Re- they yeah, had to resign way. him for the rest of the season. They decided not to. They want to keep playing the tango yeah. game. He his name kind of intrigued me, and you know, obviously, like I like you said before, like I, I felt like they were gonna go like first. They didn't have minutes to really spare. Then Hill's injury comes along, and again, add Doctor Strain. That's not a very kind of uh, uh easy injury to to address or something that will be like, you know, one to two weeks at most, like that could be, uh, you know, a possible problem down the line, but to get someone of, you know, he's not a very, you know, surefire shooter, but he's, you know, career league average shooter from three. I mean, all you really need is some guy that could just space the floor. And obviously (laughs) Isaiah Kanan could do that as we saw last night. So, um, yeah, I think, it makes sense to me. It's just a again plug and play option. Guy can shoot from three. They obviously like. Uh, I think from his perspective too, like he's not guaranteed for for playing time. He just came on uh, two ten day deals, so his future is not guaranteed. But you know, it's a job at this point, and he's certainly had a lot of them over like very short amount of time. If he's only played like four and a half years, five years, so. Yeah, I just think it's, you know, plug and play type guy. And as you said before, like a lot of that, like we, we kept a lot of people like flowing out, like maybe Robin Lopez on the bio market. I and mean, he was, people were talking about him being bought out back in December. And if he gets bought out now, like who knows if he'll clear waivers in time for uh, playoff eligibility. Cause that I, is. I don't think he will. Like having just watched the Bulls play last night, I'm having watched him score 26 points. Him and Markinen is, you know, really good. That's a yeah. really good front core pairing. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is is he out for the rest of the season? I know he certainly has an injury that's gonna keep him out for another while yet. If it's not the rest of the season, it's gonna be pretty pretty close. Like they don't actually have the motivation to just buy him out compared to what they used to. They'd be better off having him. And uh, particularly, see, this we just got a really good look at Jim Boylan and what the Jim Boylan experience is like. God, um, I don't think he'd rather buy out a veteran 
then have him there and try to win, even though it's not necessarily in the Bulls' best interests. I don't know, Jim Bullen. He went, did you see him? Like they were. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is going. To... No, let's do it. I love it so much. There was a play. I mean, there was a run in the third quarter where I would like. I'm not easily flustered watching games. Like I'm like this is aggravating to watch. He literally. You know how they have the the line for the coaches. You're not supposed yeah. to go past that line. He was by Bud. He was on the Buck side of the the court. And he he spent a lot of that. I, I first noticed early in the first quarter. He was like, like a panther, but he's in like full defensive stance. It's like. This is a lot. This is way too much. And he was loud. I mean, I don't know what the attendance was, but the United Center is nearly, isn't it always a sellout? They have, yeah, like but a, the, it's the mics are picking up from like, but he's loud. Know. It's not just that the mics are picking it up, it's because the mics are picking it up and he's shouting. Well, Mark, and wasn't Marcus, Marcus is saying that this place is lacking energy and Jim Borland single handedly trying to. <laughs> I think he's just overpowering, you know, everyone else. Everyone oh else was afraid to, to talk, afraid to move in the building because, you know, he might lock eyes with you next. He gave, there was like a point where I think it was after like a Bledsoe 3 or a Bledsoe highlight, one of his few from last night because he just kind of had a quiet game. And he was like circling back and Jim Boylan was like looking at him like just with his eyes, like fixing it. it was, oh, that dude is so weird. So I, weird. Have you seen the Doc Rivers Dirk moment? Yep. I'm worried that when Jim Boylan sees that, he's going to get ideas. Because as it is, he was already signaling for like game ops to put replays up on the scoreboard. Yeah. Like for things that the refs couldn't review, just so he could like shout at it and make a big deal of it. If he finds out that coaches can just go down to the table and grab the mic. Oh boy. Oh my God. Jim Boylan. He was boiling. Whatever. Yeah, whatever is right. Um, <laughs> do you expect Kanan to stick? Do you think they'll explore other options with this, or is it likely he is going to probably get that roster spot and carry through the end of the season? I think it's more likely that he does. I mean, just the fact that the 10 day goes in after the playoff eligibility deadline. I mean, their options are pretty much limited. Um, this one expires after, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's March 1st. So, oh, yeah, if you're keeping them now, you're keeping them. <laughs> it's either that or it's... I, I think it's either that or, like, they would have to sign G League guys. Right? I can't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you. we were talking about this literally just as the news broke that Isaiah Kane had oh, been yeah. signed, and you suggested maybe they could look at Trayvon Duval and converting his two-way deal. And I quite like that, but the one thing about that is, I mean, unless you're giving him a multi-year deal and you don't want to get into that with your cap situation just yet, yeah, yeah. what's the point of that's doing why, that? That's, that's probably why... It didn't happen. Game. It's like, keep... Keep um, keep the restricted hold for Duval, and you can bring him back again on a two way next year. Yeah, you know if all sides are happy with that, and I think all that probably with... would be the best thing to do for him. He's starting to develop, by all accounts, from what I've seen with the books. He's actually been pretty impressed with the books. Um, but even 
from from editing and reading your your herd stuff it seems like he's had some pretty impressive games of late more so than we're certainly coming his way early in the season so i mean if, if they are intrigued by him or they like him he's coming along but he's still so young and at a point in his career where maybe the g league is still the best outlet for that and kind of slowly and steadily work on his development yeah i think that's also not to just not for the duval but i think that's also why we're seeing Kanan be on a 10-day deal first rather than you know seeing him be signed to a rest of the year deal with you know non-guaranteed salary for next year although like brandon jennings i think that's also another like cap maneuver that you know john horst is uh yeah but they are also remember they're not that far below the tax they will be below it but they aren't that far below the tax so they're gonna make just you know incremental savings as long as they hold off on the deal at the end of the season i guess i guess it's minimum regardless um any money counts (laughs) (laughs) interesting as well just while we're on the subject i guess of duval and on last night's game uh see Bonzi Colson get the call up. Obviously, there were other injuries too. Sterling Brown was out. But similarly, just kind of a young enough player who's got a little about him. I'm those two guys in particular are kind of they're representing what I imagined and wanted to think the the books could use the herd for as maybe a longer term thing. And they're the kind of players that, you know, particularly if they're in a real crunch this summer. If they've been in the organization for a while, you like them and you end up saying, okay, how do we fill out our roster? If you do that by saying, okay, we don't have a second round pick, which you're not going to have now. Let's sign these two guys on, you know, multi-year deals, basically at close to minimum. I'd be like, yeah, okay. But that makes sense. That's also potentially really smart if you feel like there's something there. And just it's... Like, it's it's a gesture bringing Coulson up and he plays for three minutes and whatever. Same as it has been for a lot of the times. A lot of. I think Duval's had two, three games with the Bucks. Um, but they're, they're just kind of gestures of, well done, keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, we want to keep you motivated, keep you energized. That's something that I really like about the Bucks overall this year, not just in regard to the G League guys, but it is like, Connaughton last night comes in, plays more minutes, plays really well. His shooting is wildly erratic, but otherwise his game was really, really good. Again, looking like someone who he could be completely out of the rotation if the playoffs came around and all of a sudden you needed him to give you minutes, you'd have no hesitation in turning to him. Um, Again, I mean, Christian Wood, look, he hasn't got what he's wanted out of it, but it's those, like, there's a sense of, well, what's the point of three minutes? The point of three minutes is for all of those guys. Every time they get on the floor is something. It's a big deal. It's a carrot. And I, I like how Bud has managed that and kind of balanced the minutes around, balanced the opportunity. I think part of that is why you say someone like DJ has taken his demotion, I guess, so well in falling out of the rotation and then getting on the floor and he's, instead of sulking, like just incredible energy, so much determination, played great. Um, his halftime interview with Katie George, I, I thought was really telling too, because he's just clearly in such like high spirits and such good form. And last year, any interviews with DJ were kind of mopey. Well, winning helps. 
sure winning helps playing helps too and feeling good yeah. about yourself i mean it's one thing having a coach go look we're not going to be playing you as much for this reason but stay ready i don't think he was getting stay ready last year you know it was like no. he was basically just around the team a prunty but there's there is something to the ability to manage that which i think could end up more important than we actually could foresee right now there could be one guy who's just a rotational piece being important at some stages in and out from one time or another like that could be any of Connaughton, wilson sterling who come playoffs if they have a really good series or two they become applies to Caden too sure i mean it's i know people probably not grumbling but again Rotation strength, surely, but there will be times where if someone's not playing up to standards, Bud will have no problem going to his bench. And that, I mean, that's what these opportunities do is that you never know when you're going to be called. That's why the whole Thon situation was such a, I mean, it's so weird to think about now is that like, again, he wasn't. Thought, or he wasn't Bud's kind of prototypical guy, or he didn't have maybe, you know, tr- the same level of trust that he that Thon built with, uh, you know, the previous coaching staff. But still, like, well, he would have played last good... night. You know, if he didn't instigate, yeah. he would have played last night. Because who knows yeah. if they go and make a Miritich deal, if they even think of something like that being a realistic possibility. And yeah, Giannis is injured. You know, you don't have a whole lot of traditional center depth. You to play last night, and you know. But DJ is such a great example in that case because, you know, that's the kind of game where Tom could have not played all season. But if you come in and do what DJ did last night, where it's like you're so obviously impressive, you're so obviously professional, you're going to win a lot of credit with your coach. And he is then going to think of, okay, I do need to find ways that I can just get him some minutes or get him more minutes and work on that stuff. But, hey, let's not worry about Tom. Tom is on, you know, the playoff, playoff push in, in the motor city it's so weird it's so weird he's barely playing like anymore there hey, too. he had a game winner i didn't even know that to be fair um he had a game it was against the hawks mind you but still he had a game winner i just know i was looking at his minutes last week and i mean it still pretty much applies do you want to guess how many minutes per game he's averaging don't look he averaged 11.7 per game in 35 games with the books this year. How I want many... to say like 13. 14.3. It's like, I hope that was worth it, Tom. I mean, if the books go on and win regular... a championship, like, and the Pistons get swept in the first round, I hope he'll really, you know, those extra 2.5 minutes. That Jose Calderon fun pick and roll is mighty spicy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's look ahead a little bit because we've certainly done enough looking behind and talking about All-Star games and Ton Maker. Talk about <laughs> blasts from the past. The books are on to their last major West Coast trip. I yep. don't, don't think they have any other... They've already... I mean, they're, they're West Coast. The only West Coast road games they have remaining after this trip are... San Antonio and New Orleans, which is not the West Coast at all. They are Western Conference games, but they are much more friendly geographically. Um, on Wednesday, 
The Bucks is at the Kings, who are having a little bit of a wobble. Um, and the Bucks will have a chance to really compound their misery. They have just fallen out of the playoff spots to ninth. They then they then face the Lakers on Friday, which I don't know how I describe what the Lakers are having at the moment. But <laughs> whatever it is, what you wouldn't exactly be looking to see if you were a Lakers fan would be the Bucks making their one visit of the season to come and play you at that time. Not exactly ideal. Um, the Jazz are somewhat resurgent. That will be a tough game, as always, particularly on the second night of a back-to-back with altitude factoring in in Salt Lake City. I haven't won in Utah since the 2001-2002 season. Right, which is now 17 years. That's a long time. And so then... We have a kid that's graduating from high school. That's <laughs> there, yeah, there is nearly you know like a legal adult that has never been alive for a Bucks win in Salt Lake City. And then on um, Monday next week, the Bucks will make their sole trip of the season to Phoenix to play the Suns. And, you know, as I tipped up on our last podcast, I think, to see the not losing to any team twice this season run come to an end, Jordan. No. <laughs> it's just, it. I don't know what I it is. I think it in revenge game. Oh, I never thought of that. Maybe that will change my mind. Also, Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> That's his first game back in Phoenix, isn't it? No. Are you sure? Yeah, because they had the they had the Thanksgiving Eve th- overtime driv oh drivel. Oh wow, I do remember that one. Yeah, I wish I'm just I gonna play. Yeah. I wish I didn't remember that one, but I do remember that one. Um, shout out to you know all the Arizona Bucks fans out there, which there are quite a few of them, but. Let's hope for something better. Okay, overall, this four-game trip. I mean, the Lakers and Kings downturns in form of late makes this look a lot more favorable than it would have looked even 10 days ago. I think it's maybe just a little less, I don't want to say intimidating, because, I mean, the books aren't really intimidated by anyone, and nor should they be right now. But there's just a little edge that, to me, has come out of this. The Jazz, okay, that's going to be a really tough game against a really good team. What are your feelings, though, overall? Like, okay, they've started the road trip with a win against the Bulls. Have they got a chance to sweep this road trip and get back home? I mean, they're winning. They're, they've won their last eight road tilts. But they've won Just... five in a row as well, so if they were to sweep the road trip, it would be nine wins overall in a row. I mean... I anything is possible in the in the the best scenario sense, not not them falling out of the road trip or going out west empty handed. But yeah, I mean I, I think that the game that I'm looking at obviously is Utah, just because I don't think there's ever been I I mean there obviously <laughs> since I've been, you know, a a, a uh, fan of the Bucks, there obviously has never been a good Bucks game in Utah. Uh, yeah, I, I just think too that we saw it kind of earlier this year that they kind of punched the Bucks on the mouth in that first half before the Bucks kind of cobble up enough. Giannis dominated Gobert in the end, and it's not something he's managed to do before. If I remember, he finished with thirty and ten in that game. Um, and that has always been a big part of the problem. Is they were one of the teams who found a way to slow Giannis down. I don't know if they can do that anymore. 
And that obviously just completely turns the game on its head and in terms of what the matchup offers. Maybe. I mean, it's, again, second night of the back-to-back. I mean, question is, does even Giannis play? I, I do think Don't part know. of part of why he probably doesn't play against the Bulls on Monday night is that it, he was definitely going to have one game, at least in this run, where he wasn't going to play. And I think at least their intention will be that he's there to play as it goes on. Like, he's going to play the Lakers. He's going to play in L.A. against LeBron. Um, is that a nationally televised game? It is. It's on ESPN. Um, so I, I think that was always going to be part of it. I think he'll want to play against the Jazz, and I think he will. Like, I mean, it's a back-to-back. Sure, that's not easy. But if you're going to rest him, and again, sorry to, you know, Bucks Arizona, but you haven't played a back-to-back and then you rest him against the Suns. Which that will be this. Would that be the third year in a row he hasn't played in Phoenix? It's at least two, but it, three of four because there. I think it's three of four. Could be wrong. Which again, sorry if I proved to be right on that for Bucks fans in Phoenix, but I think that would be a more likely if he's if he's not going to play all four of these games. I think he'll play the next three and then he'll be off for the Suns game. That won't be Phoenix fun, particularly because. Once they return from the trip as well, they've got the Pacers in their final game of the season with them. And obviously, you know, they are a team who are still technically, I mean, in the race for the top season Eastern Conference, a team that have caused the Bucks some troubles this year and that they could still play in the playoffs too. So that's another one where they might want to make a point. And uh, when you look at the games, I mean, yeah, the Suns are clearly the odd one out here in terms of, easily the worst team in their next in the next 10 games beyond even for the books i mean they don't play a lot of really terrible teams for a little while they don't play great teams either but it's just kind of mediocre teams the kind of teams that now they are an obvious and clear class above yeah did you make a prediction though or or did you dodge it jordan so are you I didn't make a prediction, but I will now. Uh, okay. I think it's 3-1. With the loss coming? Utah. I don't think they'll lose to the Jazz, and every reason would say they should. But remember, they've navigated like almost an identical situation where they went to Denver on the second night of a back-to-back, and they came out with a big win this That's season. That's true. That is very true. Um, I, I even believe it was... Last that was Clippers-Nuggets, right? So it was in LA-Denver. Yeah, OT game too. Right. So I, I do think they can win that game. There may be a slip somewhere. And again, I just do. There's a feeling that I have that it could be Phoenix. One, because Giannis may not play. Two, because it might be a, you know, collective exhale. This is the end of the trip. We have a lot more home games coming up. And, you know, you get caught off guard on something. But then again, this team really cares about not having lost to any one team twice in the year. So maybe any chance of that goes away because they're like, this is a team who beat us. We need to put that right. And honestly, I mean, the Suns can beat themselves most nights. So I mean, they have done that for the last seven years. <laughs> <laughs> maybe even if the books go there, same, not at same the for that blood. So first year. Very true. Okay. Let's move it over into the mailbag. The first question from at more cowbell five twenty. What's the deal with Yanis and his right knee? Sometimes and his right knee soreness. Even um, 
when and how did that start the off season before the 2017-18 season at 24 years old you think minor stuff wouldn't linger like that um there have a, a couple of listeners have replied to this and i, I think i'll on the whole kind of second what they've said um is i don't know is basketball even a natural you know activity for human beings to be taking part in probably not right that's a, having fun one at that well that's what i was gonna get to but i think at a base level it's probably not you know what we were primarily built for when you then yes stretch the human being out to seven foot and you add all that weight and you say okay you're gonna play basketball all the time you're gonna play 82 nights of the year against you know the strongest, the best, the tallest individuals who also play basketball every day. You're going to go at it in, in practice. You're going to be training on your off days, whatever. You put everything together and it's like, yeah, guys are going to be sore. And I think this is maybe something that doesn't always register um, with people like us and with fans is most NBA players are like permanently sore. <laughs> like Most professional athletes permanently sore or injured. So this isn't that unusual. As for when does it start and, you know, what's the genesis of it? I mean, it's, it just starts from wear and tear because he's a basketball player, but he does suffer from tendonitis. Like he, there is a diagnosis for this and that is something that is going to constantly recur and it needs to be maintained. This year, they've done a great job of it. Yeah. And he hasn't had to play. He hasn't had the workload that he was seeing last year. Thanks to the Bucks bench and coaching staff being competent, um, yeah, I mean the the ground zero, well, not ground zero, but obviously the first big you know flashball warning sign was August 2017 where he was prevented from playing Eurobasket with Greece. He was you know coming off the long season, well, not long, because they got bounced out in the playoffs, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that prevented him from playing that year. And obviously there was controversy about from the Greek Federation saying that it was a phony injury and just weirdness that came from that. But, I mean, this has been something that he's had to deal with for even probably even a day before that, you know, that we just didn't know about. It wasn't in front of. I'm sure as a, as a teenager, I'm sure as a 17-year-old and whatever, and he starts to play professional basketball and he's knowing Giannis, practicing ridiculously hard, getting less feedback on when not to practice. There are, of course, the stories that, you know, you will hear every time there's a national broadcast about him having to be locked out of the practice facility. 24 doesn't really matter in this. He's got a lot of miles on the clock. That's how you get to the level he's now at. It's going to be sore, and you've got to manage that. I think... I think there's only been one instance this year where he was actually injured as in like he didn't he missed two games in a row uh one we had a concussion did we not have a knee related where he missed two in a row maybe i'm wrong if i am wrong outside of the concussion if that's the only thing he's missed multiple games for i mean they're being termed as you know he's out with knee soreness or whatever but it would honestly indicate that he hasn't been injured this year he has never even for the concussion, he didn't miss two in a row. Huh. Last year, he had that run of games where he sprained his ankle. or rolled Maybe, his ankle maybe I'm thinking back to last year. Like he's, he's only missed five games this year. They've never been consecutive games. That's kind of perfect. It's showing perfect management of it. They're 
maintaining it and that's what those missed games are it's not a case of anything else even i like i think the magic one in particular that was a load management game oh yeah i think there was some kind of rumblings about he he looked like his knee was bothering him a little bit more recently which that would make the the monday rest against the bulls kind of it would mean it makes a lot more sense but i honestly i don't know i think these may not even be termed as you know injuries in a traditional injury sense where it's like okay he suffered an injury he has to be nursed through it it seems like the books have done such a good job of managing and controlling this this year that it's just been wasn't okay, last year wasn't last year like the the because it was a big talking point media day onwards was just how managing his you know knee and i think they said something about like every 15 games and if you look at it, i mean they played 60 games and he's missed five one due to a concussion i mean that's kind of hold true into this year just without all the other weirdness that happened last year <laughs> i think the, i think the other thing to add to that when we talk about this year as well is He's he's also carrying the load of last season and of the year before that, where he played more than he should have. Yeah. You know, and that's under control. It's been managed really well this year. But part of the reason why this exists is because of the books and because specifically the coaching staff and how his minutes were driven up and up and up. And that's not entirely unique. If you look at the guys he's competing with in the MVP race, for example, they are playing a lot of minutes. They are playing the kind of minutes Giannis has played in recent years. And yet, here he is, and he's able to just kind of, I guess, cruise through the season. Like, I'm not talking, obviously, about his effort and that. I'm talking about what's being demanded of him what he's being asked to do 33.2 minutes per game that really is not a lot like for even like really good starters that's not a lot don't mind superstar players so i don't think the books could do any more on this front and yeah i wouldn't be i wouldn't be all that worried about it at all from at Mulaney joey what's going to be the dominant narrative going into the playoffs a, they can't be trusted because no Bucks team has won a big playoff series since 2001. Or B, the Bucks were struggling in the playoffs because the Hawks didn't, quote-unquote, adjust in 2015 or something else. I think the answer is like all of the above. Is yeah, column A, of, a little bit of column B. <laughs> it'll all be put out there. I've already, I already plan to write about, you know, the B option of that by the time the playoffs come around, because it's just complete nonsense. I mean, the, this thing that Bud has a reputation as a bad playoff coach, um, it makes no sense for anyone who did actually they, watched did those they games. Run, well, they, first, they ran into the buzzsaw that was LeBron. LeBron, every, every year, like, when the Hawks were actually a good team, yeah. they lost they to lost LeBron. And never won a game. <laughs> and they didn't just lose to LeBron. They lost to Tristan Thompson specifically. Yeah. Uh, they had no adjustment on their roster. This was the problem the Hawks had. They couldn't, they couldn't keep Tristan Thompson off the boards. They just couldn't stop that. And 
the Cavs would get reload after reload. Those reloads would go back to a LeBron James, who was kind of is kind of good still, but was mm-hmm. likely at his prime at that point. Or B, they would go to Kevin Love, who was maybe the best stretch four in the NBA at that time and shredded, shredded the Hawks in a playoff series. So the, the big thing with it is Hawks teams, it was not about adjusting as much as they came up against the best team in the NBA, the best player in the NBA. They were year on year awful at rebounding. And they had they were, no. I mean, they were like second worst for the Bucks. Consistent. Was that bad? Yeah. And no, no easy way to pivot and adjust to that without disrupting the otherwise really strong and impressive team they had built. And injuries, Corver. Injuries, Carver. injuries is a factor, but I mean, still beyond that, you're coming up. Okay, a team that their one biggest weakness, their glaring weakness, was rebounding, and then your matchup is going to be. Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, like what? What are you gonna do there? It's just disastrous. So the not adjusting is bizarre. And I mean, if you want to throw it at the Wizards, the year they lost to the Wizards when Horford had left and they had Dwight Howard, like that whole thing happened because the Hawks were trying to adjust to what the Cavs had done to him, and they wanted to add Howard to Horford and Millsap. Purely because they needed, you know, a rebounder, a big body, and that's what Dwight was going to be. It's, you know, I shouldn't be surprised. And again, it's something very similar to the books, but that particular analysis just screams people who didn't watch the Hawks and didn't even watch those series. You know, there is good reason for why the Hawks, Bud's Hawks, lost in the playoffs in the years when they were at their best. It's the same reason why basically every team that hasn't had LeBron James has lost. Not basically. Every team that hasn't had LeBron James has lost in the playoffs for like, what, the last decade? When's the last yeah. season that he didn't didn't make it into the finals? 2009-10, before he went to Miami. Who went to the finals that year? Celtics. Celtics. Which in itself. And even then, that was the second round that he lost too. So that was going through... Like, he'd even go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, very true. So, look, I think that particular criticism is just ridiculous. The idea, that generally, for anyone who knows anything about basketball, anyone who watches the NBA, that you that coaching is fundamentally different in the playoffs to the regular season is absurd. Like, you could say things about, oh, you know, the game slows down, which... Mm, yeah, kind of. Yes, it does, but can be over exaggerated. Uh, rotations get shortened. Yeah, although the reason for that is generally the teams don't have enough trust in their own depth. If you have a deep team that you feel good about, you don't necessarily have to do that. Like it's the same deal. It's the same deal. And maybe the more you make it into something completely different the more you set yourself up for failure. Particularly if you're the books. I mean, if the books win 64 games, um, roll into the playoffs as the one seed, the last thing they need is, you know, oh, this is an entirely different beast. You know, this is the playoffs. This franchise hasn't won since 2001. Our coach has, you know, it's, no, it's the same team. Maker stands in the way with their playoff push. <laughs> it's the same teams they'll have to play, the same coaches you have to overcome. Sure, there are new looks that get thrown out, things that get held back. None of that has to be unassailable, though. 
Um, the like the the Bucks haven't won a series since 2001. It's like equally irrelevant. It's something that's really going to matter. The same past performance doesn't indicate future. But it, it's not even that they're completely different players. Oh, yeah, I know. That's what like, I'm saying. That's the that's the thing. It's not. It, it, particularly the NBA and with the way roster turnover works, it's not like there's even there is no true line through most of that time with the books. There's no through line. There's hardly a through line in the organization. Yeah, you'd be hard pushed to find year. like outside of Jim Paschke. Is there like how many people in the organization? There's probably some like higher ups that I, I don't know. But I don't like, think so. If you look at if even I, mean, I, I actually think out... arena workers might be the only it, higher ups because of the ownership change. You know, there's probably been more change, and otherwise, I mean, even people who span boat and uh, boat ownership groups. Although the first one was less of a group, um, you know they weren't there all of that time. This is a long time. I tweeted out. I tweeted out last week when they beat the Celtics and matched their uh, win total from last year. That if you look at the players that played in their forty fourth win last year compared to this year, there's like five players, and Giannis didn't play that night either, or he played Thursday. He didn't play last year's win. Like, there's even last year's team is hard, like, outside of, like, the core pieces uh, or what you would, you know, the the, the cream of the crop, I should say. Um, the, even last year's team is, there's no real through line to last year's team just because they've shaken up the team and, uh, you know, obviously hired Bud and all this stuff. Like, even then, like, that just doesn't make sense. to Or that, that kind of, you know, I guess what's being held against them at this point with the playoff conversation looming. I have a question for you on this front. Before the Warriors won the NBA championship in 2015, how many times do you think they won first round series in the previous 25 years? And I will Yeah, and I will head this up straight away. Before that year, they had never won a second round series. In that span, in that twenty-five year span, well, so the, we believe there was the Nuggets uh, stunner. I mean, I'd be surprised if they won something outside of that. I three times. Like those, three, three times. times. What was the other one? Um, in 1990-91 when they beat the Spurs, DMC. and they lost in the conference semifinals four-one. Um. Like, you have to go back to their previous championship win in 1975 for the last time they had won more than one series prior to going and winning the championship. Like, this stuff doesn't matter. It's apples and oranges. It's like, yeah, can Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, under Bud, you know, can they overcome what, Michael Carter Williams and Jason Kidd couldn't in 2014 15. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Can Jason Terry hit that last second shot in game six? Or not last second shot, but you know what I mean? You know, we've moved on from the no respect to the two, no disrespect to the two people I'm about to mention, but from Jared Dudley inbounding to Jared Bayless in like the pivotal moment of a game five in a playoff series. 
it's yeah. like it's all irrelevant. Like all these narratives will come up because this is what people do. This is how they drum up conversation. And my advice to books fans would be just ignore this. And this will particularly get drummed up by, you know, people who it's not in their interest for the books to go on and come out of the East or win a lot of games. You know, this is going to be a year where the books are the Raptors and are, don't count into this, but not major media markets, but there is certainly major media presences with very strong connections to both Philadelphia and Boston. It's going to be in a lot of people's interest to be like, oh, what? what are you talking about? No. <laughs> no, you've never heard that. Um, it's going to be a lot of people's know. interest to kind of talk down the books for the most tenuous possible reasons. I wouldn't say they're talking down the bucks, though. Just no one's. Oh, talking it will. It will be them. when that comes around. It will be. It's like all of the, you know, the ghosts of history that they've got to overcome. It's kind of like. It's irrelevant. It really it it's something that we will talk about in a sense of anxiety because it's something that collectively builds into the fan base. But really the best thing that could happen over the next couple of months is if Bucks fans let that go. Because if they are in a closed playoff series, if it happens to be the first round, which would be a disaster right now, but if it was the second round, the third round, whatever, the finals, whatever it might be, the energy of Oh, this is a repeat of something that happened, you know, when Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis were on the team. That kind of there's just literally no place for that energy. Like Bucks fans and Pfizer form throughout the playoffs should have an energy that's been unique to any kind of Milwaukee basketball team since the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what they're gonna come into the playoffs as as the best team in the NBA. From at John Dolza, Miritich is easily the best volume three-point shooter on the books. Is there a case that he is the most important free agent for the books to bring back after cash? No, not at all. I'm I'm waiting. You, I think you disagree. So I mean, it's an interesting question. I know there is an element of versatility here. But the positional redundance doesn't doesn't get overcome so easy to make that the case. Like, if the books don't have a really good point guard, a really good shooting guard next year, they're going to take a major step back. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, just positionally, because Giannis is your best player and he naturally plays at Miritich's natural position, He's not the next most important. He's also... No. He's not more important than Brooke. He can't do what Lopez does defensively. No, that's true. Like That's such a foundational element of not just how defensively, good the have been this year. Yeah. Like it's, it's what he's done on both ends. And look, Lopez can put up trees with the best of them, including Miritich. So... I don't think that's the case at all. I don't. I think he is. For me, he would come in in importance after literally all of the starters. Like, I think his spot in terms of the books pecking order right now is about right. He's probably their sixth man. Um, he will certainly be by the time the playoffs come around when he really gets comfortable. 
he's not more important than that in the long term to me. I also, I don't think they get him back. I don't think, I don't think he was necessarily acquired with a view to him being there long term because there's just no easy way for them to do that without having major holes elsewhere. Now, if if Lopez, for example, wants to go elsewhere and gets a big offer, well, maybe they do have to pivot and say, okay, uh, we're going to play Miritich at center as a starter next year. Not crazy about that. Um, But again, that's, that's putting them down the, down the pecking order in terms of where I'd be placing my priority. I I think anything is possible. Kevin Garnett. I mean, anything is always possible. What does that I'm mean? I'm just saying. I don't think. I don't think there. He obviously was a a rental, and obviously a look towards fortifying their depth with the playoffs in mind. But there are very there. I mean, there's so many ways that this offseason can go. Uh, who knows? We have no idea. I mean, unless they make the finals, which is possible, I would personally think it's very unlikely he's back. Because I think for him to come back, he's going to have to take less money than he deserves. And unless the books can like really provide him all of the incentive to do that, which would be proving, you know, this is a great place for you to play and it's a great chance for you to get a ring. I don't know how it happens. I mean, the other side of this is where maybe they get to the finals and um, the owners say, we are bringing everyone back and we are bringing everyone back and we are prepared to pay the most colossal tax bill. Which I don't know if that's a great idea, but sure, that could be possible. I mean, for me, it comes down to a scenario where Miritich is back next year is... Things have gone well this year, like really well in the playoffs as well. Not winning a championship, but as close as they could possibly get, probably. Uh, where the motivation is there that we can't break this up. We've need to, we need to go again, and we believe that we can do this by going again with the same group. Just my opinion, though. From at OGGZ. Besides having the MVP, am I crazy to see similarities in this book's team in the 2011 Mavs, 2014 Spurs, 2015 Warriors? Besides Golden State, who had two All-Stars like the books, three teams who are loaded with talent, not stars that went 8-10 to 10 deep in the playoffs with good coaching like Milwaukee. No, I don't think you're crazy to think this is the general element of the question. I'm... I'm less sure about including either of the 2014 Spurs or the 2015 Warriors in this. I mean, I think the Mavs comparison is certainly valid and relevant. And I mean, really, if you want to go back further, the other comparison is the Pistons in 04. Uh, Well, where I was going to go with that is, I think if what the MVP part of this, the besides having the MVP, I don't think you can do that because I think when you look at these teams, one of the things they have in common is some sort of like universally exceptional talent. The Pistons were a different kind of team altogether in that regard, but they did still have Ben Wallace and the yeah, defensive presence that Ben Wallace was. You're talking a two-time player, defensive player of the year. So not quite the MVP, but you're talking about like 
a building block that any team in the NBA game breaker. Like, we can build a really special team with that guy. And I mean, they also, without coming into 2004 Pistons, like Tayshaun Prince, John Hammond, career, but yeah, okay. I'm not even, I'm not even going to go into that for a second. Um, by a similar token, the Mavs had Dirk in 2011 and a pretty special version of Dirk who was, you know, not what Giannis is this year, but, you know, not a million miles off, at least in that kind of top-tier NBA player. I think I've seen that... a lot of 2011 Bulls. Obviously, they didn't win the title, but that's also a similarly... Is that the Bulls MVP year? Yep. Yeah. Which, I mean, there could be some similarity in terms of not the players at all, but if you know, Giannis wins MVP. I can, I can see, I can see the kind of thought process that brings people to that. I guess, but yeah, maybe that is fair because that was a really, a really good team, one to five. Like that, it wasn't just one or two guys. They did have Rose, who was a genuine superstar and was great that year, leading it up. But that Noah was a, coming into his powers. Noah was great. I mean, he was dang. The next year was the one where Noah got fourth or fifth in MVP voting, right? No, I think that was a couple years down the line. Okay. Carlos Boozer was there that year, right? Still yeah, kind of good. still kind of good Carlos Boozer, not quite punchline Carlos Boozer. No, um not, not uh <laughs> oh, the... <laughs> not polish on his head, Carlos Boozer. No. Yeah, still lacking. He had some polish. At that time. Yeah, he had polish on the floor rather than on his head. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I see the general... I see the general thing here. I mean, the, look, the other team is... Bud 60 win Hawks. That's the other team, really, that you could put in a category like this. Last There's year's the, Rockets team. <clears throat> yeah, it's the second time you said that. Let's. I haven't heard this one, so let's work that one out. Why... Well, actually, I say it's the second time. I think you said this to me before we started recording. So yeah. it's second not the first time for everyone. I else. mean, MVP player with Harden, hopefully, yes. Their, uh, the design of their offense. Design of their offense. Defense. I mean, they were that last year's, uh, last year's Rockets team was very good defensively. Obviously, mm-hmm. more switching than kind of the more traditional or whatever you want to call it. With, defense that the Bucks have, but very flexible. Aging superstar, they don't have that, but I mean just the depth and you could compare like this what second option that Chris Paul is at this, or at least last year's state, compared to like a guy like Bledsoe or maybe Milton, whatever you want to put, you know, the rest of the pecking order as. But I think that is a very similar kind of built team in my opinion. I guess I see it. I I do think there are still some important differences in terms of the style of the best player, and how that oh, will yeah. how that will influence everyone else in the playoffs. I mean, look, we we all remember the Rockets not being able to hit a tree, and how that you know cr- brought their season crumbling down. The same could happen for the books, but the books also have like a far superior paint attack. You know that's. They're historically good in the paint. Their best player is, is is historically good in the paint. 
So that opens up its own opportunities. Yeah, I guess I see it. I, I think the thing with all of these is I can see similarities with all of them, but no one is, you know, like for like. Yeah. Um, so sure, they could be like any one of those themes or they could be uh, an example of their own that's held up for years to come for better or worse. We don't quite know yet, but like if the if the core of the question is, can the Bucks win the championship with this group or can they really contend? I mean, the answer is yes. We we see that already. And barring unforeseen circumstances, there's no reason to believe that's going to change. From at Eva Jealous, is there any chance in the world we keep the team as is for next season? I'd say yes. I'd say it's... It depends if as is is like literally... Everybody. The same, I won't say 15 guys, no offense to that kind of, but the same 14 guys kind of thing. No, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. If it's whether the starting five is going to be the same and you'll still have Ursan, you'll still have Tony Snell, Sterling will be there, DJ will be there, Dante will be there. Um, probably Connaughton still because he, I don't think they'll, they'll wave him. He's useful enough to keep around that deal. Um, they may still keep Christian Wood likewise for next season, just as someone who's cheap there. I mean, what the, that gets me to like 12 players. <laughs> um, Miritich is the one that I think is just a bridge too far. Like, this is why when they get Miritich, everyone is like, oh my God, the books just got Miritich because it's a player that you can't just easily add in the kind of, you know, the traditional mode of year on year building your team, particularly with the way the books cap sheet is set up I think if it's like those 12 guys returning I would put it at something like a 70% chance that those same guys are back well we're also forgetting that you know rookie so it's not going to be perfectly as is that alone <laughs> will make it the same team but yeah I think you don't know that they're not going to um you don't know that they're not going to draft someone and then trade them immediately to open space. I think it's entirely possible if they wanted to get off Snell or Ursan um, and open up more space that they will pick someone. We will spend a day or two analyzing it, writing about it, talking about yeah, it. I lost Stanley Johnson. <laughs> and then they will trade the player rather than the pick because they can't trade the pick, but they can trade the player um, to someone else. Donate the pick. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke. Anyway, yeah. Um You kind of froze there, so I don't know if the joke was you just like saying pick in slow motion or I don't know. Who were you being? To answer the question, it's not gonna be one hundred percent as is, but it's gonna be pretty darn close, I would assume. I would imagine. Like, unless just someone unexpected really wants to come to the books, this is going to be what they're going to aim to do. Like, uh, there's the thing with the discussion points, and you see even um, Mark Lazary, like, was on record on this a couple of weeks ago saying it, where it's, you know, it depends on the playoffs and what we're... It doesn't really. I mean, it's the same with 64 no, no. games. They don't really have... 
a whole host of better options than to try and bring that team back and see what they can do. Like, unless they get a real clear sense that someone unexpected, some megastar is ready to come, wants to come now and play with Giannis. Someone with bad leadership advice. See, some of the players who could fit that bill. <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> That's the problem. I don't, I'm not entirely like. I should be enthusiastic about that prospect. No. But there's a lot of guys where I'm like, this is how the empire comes crumbling down, you know? We all go, oh, look, it's got, it's, all the great things are going to happen now, and then they don't, and it all falls apart. It's hard to kind of factor that in, but there should be some thought in this, particularly as, you know, the top priority is to keep Giannis because that's in turn what's going to allow you to like try to win multiple championships or at least compete year on year out this is such a maintenance free low drama group that that is a really big positive for a player with Giannis's personality if you want to keep him like the risks of adding the wrong player into this, not just for disrupting something that's clearly good on the court, but for changing the vibe, for changing his perception of what it would be like to be there long-term. That's a real thing. You've got to kind of get the right, the right kind of superstar, the right kind of player. That's a very Spursian mindset. I think they'll have to take with this as well. Um, Maybe that is an interesting comparison, particularly with Bud as the coach. If you think of the Spurs throughout Duncan's career, they took some swings. They took some swings on role players who had wildcard personalities, but that's what they were. They were role players. Part of why Tony Parker works, Manu works, is because you have a certain kind of personality that's a mesh for the star. And that is more important than anything. Like, Tony Parker was not, for most of his career in the NBA, one of the very best point guards. He was just more effective than his ability would have had him be because he was a part of that team, that system, playing alongside those players. Like, the Spurs didn't have the three best players in the league for basically the entirety of that team's uh, certainly consistent and often dominant spell at the top of the NBA. It's about personalities, and there is something to that that when we think of other players who could possibly come in, even if the books kind of hit the jackpot and were able to woo a free agent, I don't know if they're free agents that would be there to do the best for the books in Milwaukee long-term. From an Adam G. Olsen. How does Mirtich play into the books offseason? It seems to me like him and Lopez are very important to Yana's success. Any other floor-spacing bigs you think the books could sign? Uh, look, we touched on the Miritich element of this. There's another question come up as well on, you know, free agents to sign. I have given no thoughts of free agency. Me neither. I was just trying to survive day to day, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, it's like, you know, who are they playing on Wednesday? Which one of us is tweeting? Uh, have we got Have we got the writing of the articles covered? Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is genuinely, I'll pull back the curtain. This is how it works. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I've also no motivation to think about free agency because before that comes the playoffs, 
And yeah. may, like maybe the Bucks win a championship. Maybe they get to the finals. Maybe they get to the conference finals. Like whichever any of those three things is going to be a very new and fun experience. That I'm just not really interested in looking beyond that just yet. I understand why it's something that's on the minds of all Bucks fans because four of the starting five are going to be free agents. That will do it for you. But yeah, I'm not particularly motivated by it right now. It would be like asking me, you know, who do you think the Bucks should draft? To which at this point I would laugh and say, like, I, I don't know any of their names. Whoever I think they should draft, I don't know yet. I don't know who their name is. So you're telling me we're not getting Zion? No, he's the only one I could tell you about. <laughs> is there a reddish guy? Cam Reddish, is that his name? Yeah. I know him. Jam Morant, is that? Jam Morant. Okay, I'm up to three. I can safely say the books aren't getting any of those three. Mm. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, okay. Don't, see, <laughs> don't make jokes because I'm at a point where I don't care about that stuff, so I don't know. All of it comes later. Free agency to draft. We'll worry about all of it at a later date. From a cowboy of space. Simple. Do you want Boston or Philly in the second round? Jordan. Boston. I think the same. I may change my mind on that when we see what the books look like against this Philly team. Um. Boban's going to be out for quite some time as well now, right? Like until very nearly the start of the playoffs. How much, but that's the thing. How much that matters, honestly. Did you see the starting lineup they had to, and just their rotation like last night? Okay, and Bede's out as well. But that's so what that's what made the Pelicans. Like, if ever there was any indication that, you know, Anthony Davis just doesn't care, do you know who they started at the five last night? Boban? No, he was injured. I thought he played. No, I don't think so. He played <laughs> and then he got hurt. He got hurt during the game. Well, he didn't start, and the player who started made me just be like Amir Johnson. No, Jonah Bolden. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what the whole everybody likes talking about the. Boban addition. Boban did play a, last night. You're right. So that is when he got injured. But Boban yeah. is a basketball player, and he's not going to play that much when playoff time comes and it's 40 minutes of Embiid. He's their best player. They can't play Embiid 40 minutes every game, really. But they did it last year, and they're going to do it again this. It's going to go wrong for them. That could go wrong after game one, and their season's over. Like I mean, part of the reason why you get. Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, and then you've got JJ Redick and you've got Ben Simmons, should be not to play Embiid for 40 minutes. Like, shortening rotations is one thing. Taking that specific player and stretching him that much is just such a bad idea. And even if he is playing 40 minutes, if the Bucks rotation is shortened, if the Bucks, if anyone, whoever's playing Philly, I mean, if the other eight minutes at center, are going to Boban or they're going to Jonah Bolden? No disrespect. The player that I kind of like, but he's not a center at all. Like that's and they're a they're a small team. Without Embiid, they are a really small team. They've got mid-sized guys, but they don't have a center. Uh, maybe that's unfair. They're they're basically the books, really. I mean, even with Simmons height, 
but Simmons is the point guard, so there is a there is an air of unpredictability around everything to do with the Sixers. There's an air of unpredictability around any non Bucks contender. I think the Sixers more so than anyone though. Nah, I I disagree. You're going to say the Celtics. Of course you are. You always say the Celtics. Because there's just the Celtics are your Raptors. You know, if we're to if we're to compare situations here, you felt about the Celtics like I feel about the Raptors for a long time. Like this is a yearly thing. I I do. do. (laughs) I think the Celtics have been overrated for quite some time. I disagree. I, I I would still prefer to play them right now because. The Sixers, if everything clicks and they're at their best, they are going to be the second best team in these. The Celtics are undeniably weird. Kyrie Irving, like, I mean, we weren't naming names earlier. Hashtag naming names. But... He wasn't the only one I was talking about. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely not. But he is certainly one of them. We can agree on that. Um... Yeah, that's just not a good situation. It's just no. not good in any way. And Hayward, you... it's taken some shine away from a weird Hayward situation. And he missed last week's game against the Bucks with a sprained ankle that wasn't the surgically repaired one. But, like, people, there's always, like, it's every, like, four weeks where he has a really good game, like, vintage Hayward game. And it's like, oh, if that's what we're going to have more later this season. No, he's, it's not happening. It's not happening. Like, there's going to be times where he'll look great. Oh, yeah, in a, in a playoff series, he could have a one vintage Hayward no, game. No, he's not. He could. In the, one game. One game. But, I'll but give he you could one have, game. He could have five games where he scores 10 points. Exactly. That's the thing. Is that, like, this is just, it's been the Celtics year, like, uh, like dis- distilled into Gordon Hayward's year. Or, I had that the wrong way. But, you know what I mean? It's like, they click on one night and then there's like they lose, they crumble and give up like a 28 point loss to the Clippers. And then people are looking to like look at Kyrie and he's like, What are you talking about? Like it's just this weird aura around like every other team. And the Raptors are stealthily among the fray, but have weird questions that they haven't answered at all this season. You're saying they're trash, right? That's that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm picking the Celtics on this run, by the way, because we just talked about like lots of, you know, this season things. I'm picking the Celtics because the Bucks last season lost to the Celtics in seven games with Joe Prunty as coach with a system that was just, I mean, it wasn't a system um, with much less depth. The counter is obviously, oh, the Celtics didn't have Kyrie Irving. And my response to that would be, exactly. So this year, the books are going to win. Because there's the only more weirdness is going to come in. Think of it like, there are, of all the opponents the books are going to play, I think Kyrie is the player and the Celtics are the team most likely to have a Jabari Parker-esque post-game, pre-game uh, interview thing like we had last you're year. You're shortchanging Jimmy Butler, especially since Ooh, that's a good point. His usage is seventh, seventh on uh, the Sixers since Tobias Harris arrived. Ticking time bomb. 
But I mean, that's that's such a that's such a mistake in constructing that team with those trades exactly. that Grant has made because Simmons and Embiid have already in their career, like with having the ball all the time, but they have both been guys who have been vocal about we want the ball, we want touches. And Matt Hasselbeck. They want the ball you, and they're gonna score. Then you had then you had Jimmy Butler, and then you bring in Tobias that's Harris, what, who that's is not what like makes that. that whole trade. Like the, the Jimmy okay, Butler yeah. trade is the problem, though, because Tobias Harris actually makes sense yes. to put alongside them. Um, but you should give him the ball sometimes. Is part of the problem with that. It's like he's yeah, a player you want to the... give the ball to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think well, hopefully what we just captured there is the book shouldn't fear anyone. <laughs> like, I think that's the thing. It can be. And we're not. We haven't even oh. talked about the Pacers. So I know everybody's gonna say, "Oh, they're not gonna even win a first round," and that's very. Well, that's very hold possible. Up, hold the top. Hold the top. Ooh. Jump at the gun. The next question from Wesley Bill. If Indiana stays at the three seed, would it be better to rest Giannis and get the two seed, avoiding to Philly, Toronto, or go for the one seed? I, I knew Jordan was gonna. This was gonna. You know, come on, Jordan. Let's hear. Well, it. I, I, I say this as someone scared to play the Pacers just because everybody counts them out, and yet they have they're what forty one and twenty or forty and twenty one. I think they lost last night. As a recording, but um, guys, <laughs> it's the number one seed. <laughs> Let's not overthink this one. It's that number one seed in the East. It's having home home court the whole way through the, the playoffs. playoffs. The whole the way playoffs. through the playoffs, and they might get to the finals. Yes, like you can think whatever I'm you want. Yeah, in this scenario, so you can take whatever you want about the book's chances of beating the Warriors. But the, num- the number one like... seed this season, hold on a minute, the number one seed this season could potentially mean that there's a game seven of a finals in Pfizer form in Milwaukee. That's kind of worth pursuing because it's not something you can pick and choose. Like, what if Anthony Davis goes to the Celtics this summer and the Celtics, you know, become less dysfunctional or really good? Like, it, this is a game, we've talked about this before, but. Like it's not just oh this is great or brush this aside. No, this is this is a real chance. I want yeah we take need, it like seriously. A, we need a PSA, a public service announcement. I know, like for whatever reason, like there there are games. This is what makes. Ugh, I don't I don't want to complain, but I'm just saying we have the best <laughs> route possible. Everybody's looking. There's an article a couple weeks ago saying the Bucks are a juggernaut hiding hiding in plain sight. They have Ben Oliver in the Washington Post. Yes, Ben Oliver, the Washington Post. There's all, there's no shortage of stats and numbers indicating the Bucks are a very dominant team. Potentially, and I mean, right now, I'm saying potentially because there's 20 games left. 20, 20 games, right? Um, 22. 22 games left. The books are statistically looking like a top ten team of all time. Yeah, <laughs> like this is not just this is there. This, of... this is not the uh, of the of the new century of the new millennium, the millennium. This is of all time since the basket, the, the NBA. Since the dawn of time, they... is that what you're? Yeah. I love that you went to you know further qualify of all time. 
<laughs> since the goat. But um, let's let's stop looking ahead. We're here. We're here. We're Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber getting off the the what, not motorcycle. Is the what is the word? Damn it! I'm losing steam here. Anyway, we're there. We're <laughs> it's in sight. Everything everybody has looked toward. Talk about championship, like everybody using that word, the John Hammond special of saying, like, we want to build a championship contender one day. We're looking at it in the face. Eyes wide open. Just enjoy it. Just live in the moment. This, this is what this season is about, living in the moment. Capture it with both hands. Wow. That just turned into a TED talk. <laughs> I love it. It's always me who does that. So I like for a change that it was you. I felt like it was in play. I saw the question. I went, this might but it be... just it just it, like it infuriates me. Like any free agent question or they like the first quarter last night, they're they're down 30 to 25. Guess what? They're gonna be fine. Gonna be fine. <laughs> Did you think they're that last night? I didn't think that last night. I thought it. I've. I've again. I've seen these patterns. Okay, they start off slow. Guess yeah, what? They're gonna they win. They only have <laughs> one guy on the floor who they didn't have last night. Which, sure, they start off slow and they go back and win. But last night I had doubts. Um, yeah. To the question, you know, just to you know, my two cents were a tiny bit because you know, I, I agree with Jordan. This is amazingly. I th- I think this kind of question is like the ultimate marriage of the most books way of thinking and the least books way of thinking because the flip side of this is what if they lose to the pacers in the second round shut up no (laughs) no No, i'm not saying that's you get my point so if you've got an option of losing to the sixers or the celtics or the pacers it's like just go and beat you if you're gonna go to the finals you're gonna have to beat these teams you know so go and beat the better teams you're supposed to be better than them anyway you've shown yourselves to be better than them like nothing good comes out of if the books get to the second round they lose to the pacers if they lose in seven games to the sixers the celtics that's kind of a different deal it's it's actually let me rephrase it it's an entirely different deal than losing to the oladipo those pacers so like there's there's an element of this which is planning too far ahead, and there's also an element which is like, like I mean, be careful what you wish for here. You know, I'm making I, a prediction. Oh, uh, this is great. Everybody, clear out your calendars. We're we're going we're going to the Easter Conference Finals. Uh, I don't want to hear such a tepid take. It's not tepid. What it's really tepid, of... of course they're going to the Easter Conference Finals. That's a given. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the Sixers and Celtics, they're flyers. You bat them away. No, I think the Bucks can beat them. those teams. I, I think they can beat them. I think it's very tough competitive series, but I think they can beat them. It's like, it's not. You, I thought you were going to predict the finals appearance there. I won't go that far. No, but I'm just saying. Once you, once you reach the Eastern Conference Finals. I know everyone's disappointed. Here's everyone plotting like roots, and Jordan's like, clear the floor, <laughs> clear out your calendars. I've got to take. I the turn best, around. The best I record turned... in the NBA, they might make the conference finals. I didn't say might. Okay. I said they are. Book it. They're going to make the conference finals. I shot that three, Nick Young. I turned around, and that ball went in. 
the sad reality is that is the hottest take of Jordan's life. That you know, the books who might win sixty four games or something. Damn, they're gonna make the conference fun from Ada Tundra man. It looks like Ursan has taken DJ's minutes and Nicola is taking Ursan's. Given our wealth at the four, will this lead to more big lineups in the playoffs? And if so, which guard loses minutes? Bonus question. Are we dreaming? No. I will not I will not pinch you. This is not this is not a dream. <laughs> <laughs> um to answer the question, Tom Hanks, big. We're going big. We're going up to that that uh machine what was it called i'm missing like the crane machine no it wasn't the crane machine it was what? the you're, weird... you just keep pulling these movies and then not having the thing you need from them <laughs> are we what are we gonna do we're gonna we're gonna jump on the the life side the piano, piano zoltar. No. we're gonna go up to zoltar okay the piano <laughs> wasn't interesting i was wondering where that analogy was gonna go yeah we're gonna go up to zoltar Each and we're gonna one ask... was gonna be the raptors we jump on that one particularly hard yeah. um that's us going against the Eastern Conference opponents. I'm losing breath. I was gonna say this is in danger of going off the rails, but it might be it's too late happened. for that. It might be too late for that. Once Jordan got fired up and came out with his bold predictions, you know, <laughs> that ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> I think they're gonna go big. I think they should go big. Like bigger the better. Um, Steve Ashburner tweeted out that he bigger asked, the boulder. Jordan, look, you know, my takes on this are on the record. They're on the record for years. Um, I gave my <laughs> my opinion on this to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Yep. You know, I'm a fan of the big man. Yep. But <laughs> this is the reason I watch basketball. It's the big guys. Um, so I say, yeah, dude, Steve Ashburner is put to bud before Monday's game. Would he consider uh, Giannis, Middleton, Miritich, Ur- Miritich, Ursan, Brook lineup? And Bud said that was you know pushing it too far. I say why not? Why not? I actually why think not? I think against the Sixers, that lineup doesn't match up as badly as as you know. They'd actually, you'd actually have very similar sized guys except for Reddick against Middleton, and that's just ideal. You know, you give Middleton a mismatch at the post. Anyway. Sorry, Jordan. I was getting ahead of myself there and considering the Sixers. Um, from at Maddie underscore hoop 16, who are some under the ra- radar free agencies you'd like to see this summer? I literally don't know who the under the radar free agencies are this summer. <laughs> We haven't even looked at the radar. I have no idea. <laughs> I know the big name free agents. Yeah. Um, like, I don't even know when I'll have time to figure out who the under the radar free agencies are. This is a different deal than we're used to. Like, normally we go, okay, so the book season will be finished like by April 30th, and then we've got May for like the draft, and then, you know, we pivot to free agency. <sighs> Who knows? Who knows if we've even got time to think about these things? Mm. You know, Larry O'Brien will be in one hand. I, I don't have a physical object to represent the drafts or free Walter J. Other. Kennedy. Walter <laughs> J. Kennedy will be in the other. Isn't that the, the like, uh, sportsmanship award? The community award? You might be right. 
which Middleton might win because he won one of the monthly ones. So yeah, who knows? We could have both of those together, Jordan. You know? The Citizenship Award. You're correct. You um, from at Alex underscore Kenny zero two three. When the Bucks win the championship, see this is the way questions should be starting. Does Jody Meeks get a ring too? Let's be clear on this. No Toronto Raptor is getting a ring this year. Just that's it. No Raptors. But that's the rule, and we're gonna stick to it. No Raptors. Serious answer is no, he definitely doesn't. Um I don't believe he ever would have stepped foot in Milwaukee during that time. Like they did not want him, he was not part of it. Um wait for that to be built up as the Raptors clutch at straws heading into the conference finals of all this the great stories, Jordan, that we're gonna get about Jody Meek. Jody Meek says, you know, he's a bone to pick. He didn't get a fair, fair shake with the books. That's what the Raptors are, people. Just, Meeks Mania has been hitting, hitting all over Canada this week. Mm-hmm. Nothing else to add to that, no? Just uh-huh. wow. <laughs> from, from at Dalton underscore Etzel. Do you see the books being a player in a big name free agent instead of bringing the whole team back? <laughs> if I could see that, <laughs> you know, I'd be putting that power to more use than hosting a You'd be Zoltar in Big Two. <laughs> For a pencil two two nine two, have we seen the last of Dante in twenty eighteen nineteen? We did touch on this earlier. I think so. Um, probably not. Uniform... Probably not. I mean, there will be some games where they rest guys down the stretch, where he'll get onto the bench and maybe he'll get some minutes. But in any significant capacity, I guess so. Lastly, from Nick Huftel via email. I'm not sure if I want to encourage email. I'm not discouraging it. I, I welcome if that's if that's your preferred medium. If you're not on social media and you want to get us mail questions, do. But the one thing I was going to say on this is there's there's a lot here. Like I'm going to have to do a bit of reading for this. And you know, this is where the character limits I'm all ears. character limits on Twitter play to our advantage. Okay, so from Nick Huftel. I'm seeing discussion about various teams centering about leadership. The Cavs have none without LeBron. Draymond is being a bad leader. Pop is such a strong leader that the most problematic players fall into line. Is it just me? Or is the book's advantage in leadership what is separating them even more than scheme or talent? Also, who is the real leader of the team? Is it all Giannis? Giannis and Bud? Or is it everyone? What are your guys' thoughts? It looks to me like there are individuals that can lead or follow interchangeably, depending on the situation up and down the roster. Chris has transformed his style. Brogdon is a natural-born leader with training to boot. Giannis has the Mamba mentality. The bench is full of guys who follow the rotation for weeks without complaining and then get thrown in a game and do very well. I want to commend you, Nick, because not only did you ask this question, I think you answered it too. Yeah. Um, I do have, I'll, I'll let you provide any thoughts on this first, because I do have a, an outside-the-box answer to this question. John Horst. Damn it, that's my answer. <laughs> Genuinely, I think the book's leadership comes from John Horst. 
as in one, he hired the coach, right? And he oversaw that mm-hmm. process. So that's a very key part of it. But also something that, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, he has identified the personality types for this roster where you get this kind of level playing field and where leadership is something that it's not really an issue or a discussion. I think there's just, you know, guys know what they want to do. There's a certain standard that has to be met and across the roster players are prepared to meet it. So he has kind of established the standard and everyone falls into line. I do think that's kind of making John Horst the ultimate leader of this books group. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I mean, these are all, you know, whenever you hear it, someone talk about like buying into roles, like coach speak or, you know, kind of canned answers. Like that's, it's very easy to kind of roll your eyes at that. But like, look at what you said before, like, Brian Parker was <laughs> complaining about playing time in his role during a pivotal playoff series where they were a game away or at that, not at the time of his comments, but <laughs> they came pretty damn close of, of uh, actually winning the thing despite all the odds. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and he's not, it's not like he was a first year general, general manager and everybody had their all imp- like their impressions of how he ran his first year. But Pobo Jordan, Pobo. Pobo, yeah, he was with the team for ten years before that. He's studied all of just how it was coming. Uh, probably spent Jason Kidd media sessions of who's <laughs> trying to determine the pecky order with a broken cue. Um, all that stuff. That stuff matters. I think it also like. It, this kind of goes hand in hand just with how the Bucks tra- trajectory, and we're seeing with other teams like the Denver Nuggets, or not. This is kind of an out of the box candidate, but like a team like the Thunder, who had a bunch of expectations last year, and they kind of faltered trying to figure out their own big three with an aging Carmelo Anthony, who's currently not in the NBA. Um, I think when you you face expectations and you don't perform up to that, that certainly lights a fi- lights a fire under the team and getting in a high profile addition like like Boonholzer and basically I mean it feels funny to think about this now considering just how transformative this year has been but this is like a put up or shut up kind of year going into it for the Bucks like we kept hearing all the talk about are they finally going to be this kind of not contender at the time but people like talking about them. Are they actually going to be for real? Like, are they going to like actually like make some legitimate noise? And obviously that has gone well beyond that. That is not just a home run that is hitting cars on the parking lot. Jose Canseco style. But um, I think there, there's, there's just a time and place for everything to hit uh, a certain synergy that we're seeing with the bucks. And I think, not every like every little thing over the last couple of years has to be taken account for why this year has been the way it is. Well, there's also a factor in that and in that discussion of you know just think of what this year could have been and what it like as in what they needed to do. Um, if Giannis doesn't have coaching like he has this year and there isn't a system in place and he's having the year he's having, and this is a 48 win team. The noise would be deafening. 
deafening around, you know, pre-agency. Yeah, honestly, I mean, if we think like there is noise now, this is with the books as the team with the best record in the NBA, and as we mentioned, potentially top ten historical team statistically. All of this stuff. If they hadn't got the coaching hire right and hadn't seen this kind of improvement, like Giannis was going to improve. If he did that and he was playing like an MVP on a bad team, like a team that was just objectively bad compared to what they should be, there'd be a whole bunch of much, much bigger problems right now. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of, you can't lose sight of. But I do think, credit where it's due, I think John Horst deserves a lot of that credit. Bud is a great leader. Giannis has turned into an exceptional leader. Um, and he clearly really loves that. But it's all about having the right guys. Like, Urson is a leader. Urson is a really good leader. He leads by example. He does the right things. He's a steady personality. Um, the books have had leaders of a different type in the past. Leaders that I would say have been more popular than the style of leadership we have now. I'm thinking of OJ Mayo like going after players like on a three-week spell. That might be more fun. That is not better for a team. Like what they've got now is the right kind of. But style. there was also a time and place for that one because they were this up-and-coming team that everybody picked. Like, I know that sounds crazy to think about now. No, and I get your point. Throwing throwing kid too because I just fundamentally disagree with that. I mean, I think they I needed OJ. They needed OJ Mayo to like protect them from kid as much as anything. Um, like. But if yeah, you look I, at what Chris I, get the, I get the point of, like, to, I guess the better way of putting it would be, I would have preferred if Jared Dudley was still around that season providing the leadership oh, yeah. in his style than what we eventually kind of had to turn to and embrace <laughs> in OJ Mayo's style leadership. Eric it's, Hughes, not, it's not a knock on OJ Mayo. Like, and I'm, I'm just saying there is a different thing in that. I get your point, and you hear that kind of point a lot. You need certain kind of guys, you know, a young team, teach them what the NBA is about. Yeah, I don't buy that. I mean, good, solid pros is what you need. That's how you you really build a good team is, you know, get young players playing with good, solid pros. Nets are a very good example of that. Um, the kind of players they have brought in have generally been solid. Not coincidental, I'd say, that Dudley is there now as well as they're succeeding. But yeah. Anyway, that's enough of that. That's enough of all of this, right? We've been going on a while. Yeah, we have. Um, we'll be back sometime soon. Sometime next week, I would guess. Probably a similar time next week. Um, which, at that point, the books will have finished our West Coast road trip. It would seem like a pretty natural point for us to return. So Maybe we'll discuss that. 50 wins, who knows? It could be, which... I mean, that's pretty pretty impressive. Are we still going to be talking about free agency next week? Is there 50 wins already? Pop the champagne. We'll absolutely still be talking about free agency because this is what the people want, Jordan. <laughs> Until then, make sure to subscribe to Snapple Podcast, Fossil SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and Favorites on TuneIn Radio. You should also follow us on Twitter at WinIn6Podcast. That's WinIn number six podcast. You can also follow me at Adam McGee 11, Jordan at Jordan Tresky. You'll get all of our books, thoughts, books, writing, everything there. As always, 
Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.